Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zora. Africa, Amka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 11925 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, South Africa's ruling African National Congress to probe alleged plot to remove its president and South Sudanese doctor wins top UNHCR refugee award. In economics news, hefty fuel price hike looms for South African motorists. And in sports news, Michael Hooley named South Africa's flag bearer at Youth Olympic Games. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. The United Nations Special Advisor on Prevention of Genocide, Adama Dieng, has called for an independent investigations into what he describes as concerning atrocities in Cameroon. Dieng was speaking to the BBC on the eve of the symbolic declaration by separatists in the English-speaking regions of the so-called Ambazonia Republic. Over the past year, clashes between government security forces and separatist forces have intensified leading to heavy losses of life on both sides and causing mass displacement of people. Tiang says while there's been few incidents of election violence in the build-up to Cameroon's Sunday presidential election, there are still many atrocity crimes being committed because of the Anglophone crisis. Sudan's foreign minister is calling for implementation of the latest agreement to end the civil war in neighboring South Sudan. Al Dirdiri Mohammed Ahmed has also urged the United Nations Security Council to quickly approve doubling a regional protection force to monitor the accord. He told Monday's final session of the General Assembly's ministerial meeting that Sudan hopes rival leaders in South Sudan will give peace a chance. Ahmed also cited a real change in relations between Sudan and South Sudan, including the possibility of resolving the ABA uh, border dispute and conflicts in the Sudanese states of South Kudafan and Blue Nile. South Africa's ruling ANC has referred the alleged plot against President Cyril Ramaphosa to its top six officials. This is part of the outcomes of the ANC National Executive Committee meeting at the weekend. The two-day meeting reflected on a wide range of issues, including unity of the ANC. Party Secretary General Ace Mahashule and other ANC leaders, including former President Sheikh Zuma, are accused of hatching a plot to unseat President Ramaphosa. Mahashule says the alleged plot to oust the president was discussed. The National Executive Committee also discussed the alleged plot and agreed that this matter will be discussed by the officials of the ANC and the officials will uh, report back with a view to lay this matter to rest. The National Executive Committee also cautioned its members against perpetuating fake news and rumors via the media and social media. We must resist being drawn into campaign of our detractors who would like to see a divided and weak African National Congress. Four days after the devastating earthquake and tsunami that hit the Indonesian island of Sulawesi, anger is mounting among traumatized survivors and the worst aid settlements as they wait for aid to reach them. The BBC's Jonathan Head, who is in Palu, reports that people there are absolutely desperate. The areas hit by the wave are just appalling. I mean, just dreadful sort of scenes of absolute, complete and total destruction. There needs to be a more systematic effort by the authorities if they are going to find people who might still be alive. It's all a bit haphazard here. There aren't clearly people in charge. Uh, there are lots of volunteers coming in, but in terms of a functioning town, Palu has ceased to function at all. I mean, it's extraordinary to meet people come rushing up to your car and begging you for water. 
And finally, Melania Trump, the wife of U.S. President Donald Trump, is expected in Accra, Ghana, as part of a maiden African trip as First Lady. The one-week trip will take her to a part of the world that has a tense relationship with her husband's administration. She's also scheduled to make stops in Malawi, Kenya and Egypt to focus on children's issues. U.S. aid director Mark Green is in Ghana already in support of Melania's visit. It's discussing the Ghana Beyond Aid program with government officials visiting the country's north and talking with USAID and US diplomatic teams. That's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amika na Unai. Thank you, Anne. It's 8.05 Central African Time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The presence of UN peacekeepers and other staff from the African Union, Hybrid Operation in Darfur Unamid is a valuable source of protection to people in central Jabal Mara, an area that has been strongly affected by the long-running conflict across the Sudanese region. As according to Marcel Clement Akpovo, the mission's chief of human rights, Akpovo, has recently visited Golo, central Jabal Mara lo- locality, Darfur, where he met with internally displaced persons at the Aralciro IDP gathering site and the area's commissioner there. The human rights situation in Golo, mostly those related to the situation of the IDP. As you know, the IDP settlement in Golo, mostly made of persons who fled the conflict from the neighboring locality and then who find themselves in Golo. They are living in a very precarious situation, despite the support received from the humanitarian organization, including the local and the international one. The access to livelihoods, uh, the security situation, uh, the protection issues, and then also uh, the physical integrity issues that remain of paramount concern to us. What are the challenges have your section faced working in Golo? Like most of the uh, 13 new team sites that has been identified by the mission as part of the overall reconfiguration remain one of the hotspots of the, the, the conflict. As a locality, Presently in the Jabalmara area, Golo is one of the uh, localities seriously affected by the conflict. It receives, uh, as I indicated earlier, large number of uh, displaced uh, persons who are fleeing the conflict and traditional issue pertaining to human rights, uh, monitoring human rights protection and human rights uh, promotion, those that we, we identify here. I think that through our interaction with the IDPs, one of the very fundamental aspects of their concern is access to protection and access to education and access to food. You clearly notice that uh, those are very important uh, issues related to socio-economic and, and cultural rights that we are very interestingly um, confronted with in the IDP settlement. And how will UNAMID help solve these challenges? You know, UNAMID mandate is a broad protection mandate, both for physical and then also protection by ensuring that the protection environment is conducive for them. It is a very, very important move by UNAMID to, to be present, to be physically present here. The, the physical presence of UNAMID is already a protection source for uh, the IDPs and the people who are living in Golo. UNAMID also intend to deploy, if not uh, are already in the process of deploying, a significant number of uh, substantive personnel, which include uh, protection personnel, human rights personnel, child protection and civil affairs, and the rule of law personnel, 
who definitely would really be of a very significant added value to the overall protection to the IDP and then to the people of Kodo. UNAMID also very much work closely hand in hand with the local authorities to support any process that leads to an enhanced protection of the IDP and we believe that uh, this is the way to go. A locality like Golo who is a concentration of uh, people fleeing conflict uh, is a symbol of uh, how we can bring humanitarian concept and uh, vision close to the people, how we can support national authority to ensure that uh, their ownership is perceived and then real and in the overall effort that we are making to to support the protection of IDP and then overall protection of people in Golo. You just met with Golo Commissioner. What are the outcomes of the meeting? I had a very, very constructive meeting with the Golo Locality Commissioner who welcomed the visit and then who appreciate the effort that the Human Rights Office within the UNAMID is making to ensure uh, the protection of the people of Golo. We had a, a range of uh, conversation which uh, vary from uh, the situation of the displaced people, how to support uh, enhance the protection activity within the displacement uh, area, how do we ensure collaboration, strengthen collaboration between uh, the Golo locality authorities and then the human rights personnel and then by large the UN personnel here. And then I call for an increase and support of the authority in the human rights work that we are doing here. I go to the reassurance that such support will be provided and that we will continue to work hand in hand to address the shared challenge that we have in terms of human rights but also in terms of protection here. I remind the Commissioner that the extension of a state authority in locality like that of Guru remain a, a prime importance and a fundamental priority for UNAMID. And together with my colleagues from uh, Rule of Law, we will support uh, a project proposal from the Guru Locality Commissioner to establish the Rule of Law Institution and to equip uh, existing mechanism for protection that the Commissioner would wish to put forward. That was Marcel Clement Akpovo, the UN Mission and Defoe's Chief of Human Rights, speaking to Setio Budi from the Joint Mission. For 20 years, Dr. Evan Atta Adaha has been providing medical services to the conflict-affected people of Sudan and South Sudan. Today, his dedication against all odds is being rewarded as he is the winner of the 2018 Nansen Refugee Award, a prize given annually by the UN Refugee Agency to honor those who work tirelessly to help people caught in humanitarian crisis. Dr. Atta is the head of surgeon and medical director of the only functional hospital in Apanar State in the north of South Sudan. He explains how it felt like to win the prestigious prize. I feel good because I've been really humbled to be the winner of this award. And uh, I'm thinking it's, it's, it's a, actually something good for us uh, in the hospital and in the area of Waban. We'll be able to get at least some resources for us to put on and uh, continue to save lives in the, in the area, which is really in that isolated place where, where there is not, nothing really much that we, we can, but we have to save lives. That is, that is, that is my feeling. What do you think, in your view, should be done in order to encourage and uh, motivate young South Sudanese so that they become as brilliant as what you have actually met? I will obviously call upon the young people of South Sudanese and uh, especially those who have really graduated uh, that there is nothing that we can achieve in this South Sudan unless we sacrifice a number of things. We can't, we can't mix. There, there is no, no way that we can say we have that, that country without our effort. We cannot. This is a call for each individual, including also the big people, that we can, we can really help ourselves. It is for us actually to depend on the help that we always think it should come from outside. If we can do it ourselves, it will be much more better. It will be stronger. It will, 
we, the country will really build itself as we as we know very well that we, we have not yet actually completed when we came back from that war we have not yet completed the, the building of the nation as i see it today is that a number of things are really happening so what we do is that we have to continue even if uh, the situation is really difficult that is the way where we can come out of the, our situation which is really all the time we are refugees all the time we are displaced we have to work hard as youth that they will be able to to build a country and have a, a country like any other country in the world can you tell our listeners what this award is for okay the the, the award is uh, called the nasen award which was really a long time during the second world war it was uh, a norwegian uh, who won it sometimes back because he was able to help the the refugees he worked tirelessly with the refugees and that is how we actually started and uh, i think since that time it is actually given to individuals every each year so that that is the the they the have to confirm of course how much you have done sacrifice that you it should be extraordinary that you are, you are, you are recognized that you have done something beyond what people can do so that is exactly what uh, okay i didn't know it but uh, later on uh, it was introduced to me and uh, i came to know it doctor we understand that you will be given a sum of 150000 us dollars so can yes. you tell us actually what your plan is with this money what will you use it for we have challenges in the hospital you know when we came from kurumuk in 2011 the current hospital was a, a primary health care center so we with the help and support from ulcr uh, and from samaritan pass we were able to expand it today we have at least something which is almost near to the basic hospital so we have, we are going to put uh, the 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 amounts that or the resources that we have i divided our challenges into three one of them was actually the structures the second one was the the, the equipment and the third one is the capacity building of the staff so we are going to work on it and we make sure we get exactly on these areas because you, you take for instance our maternity our maternity is having about 30 beds including what including neonatal unit so these beds are not enough for the population that we are serving and therefore we would like actually to expand maternity that is the first thing that we should do the second thing is that we need some machines like an anesthetic machine and x-ray machine and then also we have oxygen generators not oxygen concentrators oxygen generators are the oxygen generators are machines that you can pipe the oxygen to a number of what a number of words in such a way that you don't need actually one machine for one person no it will supply so many patients that will help us and will actually give us ability to improve our services so now with all this you've mentioned and at least the list is long you think uh, that money would cater for some of those services it got really used to the situations because as i i was explaining to you i explained it according to the our priority wherever it ends we get what we can and then we believe god will bring us more and more and we continue to put what we get so that at the end we will obviously reach the the the, the what the basic hospital structures and the, the personnel and the, the equipment that we we need in the hospital okay and finally what's your message my message is uh, clear in that uh, we, we are a nation that we are lacking behind we have been tucked in the war peace is the main goal that we should really have peace in uh, south sudan i'm calling upon everybody including the people in power including all those armed groups that let us give this this nation a chance for peace a chance of peace will bring us really to be human beings we are we have a number a big number that we are like a quarter of our populations have been actually displaced from their homes refugees and displaced comes so if we can really achieve peace then we can have really good plans for what to do with our with this with this situation of ours another thing is for the youth one one thing which i don't really accept is that whenever i am coming for my arenas most of the time i go and see people playing dominoes people playing what cards it really makes me feel bad these are the youth who are really supposed to be productive they should be doing something for themselves and for this country we we should not be people who wait for things which are really given free we should sweat and get things and these are the people whom we actually the country depends on That's Dr. Ivan Atta Adaha, head surgeon and medical director of a hospital in Upper Nile State in the north of South Sudan, speaking to UN Radio's Philip Wani.
Let's go back in time to today in 2003. South African-born writer J.M. Kutsia is awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature. Kutsia is the only author ever to win the Booker Prize twice, but the publicity-shy author avoided attending both ceremonies. That's Today in History, 2003. Remembering Mama Albertina Sisulu. We will say whatever we are expected to say by the people. And we are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the people. We are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the liberation of the oppressed people of this country. Hashtag Mama Sisulu Centenary. South Africa's governing African National Congress has referred the alleged plot against President Cyril Ramaphosa to its top six officials. This is part of the outcomes of the ANC-NEC meeting held in Pretoria at the weekend. The two-day meeting reflected on a wide range of issues, including unity in the ANC, efforts to spur economic growth after the country had slipped into recession, as well as the terms of reference of the party's Integrity Commission. Several ANC leaders, including Secretary-General Ace Mahashule and former President Jacob Zuma, are accused of trying to hatch a plot to unseat President Cyril Ramaphosa but as Ndebo Mokoba reports, the weekend meeting called for unity as the party heads to the 2019 elections in less than eight months. With just eight months before the crucial 2019 elections, the ANC is in desperate need for unity. And it's all important NEC meeting at the weekend call for unity and nothing else but unity. The elephant in the room in that two-day meeting were allegations of a plot by some senior ANC members to oust President Cyril Ramaphosa. Speaking on the outcomes of their meeting, ANC Secretary-General Ace Mahashule said the matter is now in the hands of the top six officials. The National Executive Committee also discussed the alleged plot and agreed that this matter will be discussed by the officials of the ANC and the officials will uh, report back with a view to lay this matter to rest. Mahashule, who was also accused of being part of the plot, said he has cordial relations with the president, insisting that recusing himself when the matter comes before the officials will be tantamount to outsourcing his responsibility. We are an elected leadership. We are officials of the ANC. The ANC is able to deal with its own problems and challenges. And uh, whatever issues uh, which uh, are supposed to be addressed by officials, officials will do so. We can't outsource our responsibility as the officials of the ANC. Me and Comrade uh, Cyril Ramaphosa, we won't allow any West drivers to come in between us. And we are going to work together. Cyril Ramaphosa is the leader of the African National Congress and uh, therefore serving under him as Secretary General has always been a, a pleasure. Professor Suzanne Poison, on the other hand, says good working relations between the two will help forge the elusive unity in the ANC. One little and significant statement that he did make here, and he is on record, he said, Sir Ramposa and I have a good relationship. It's an honor to work with him. So it is as if Aismagashule is being forced at this stage of his existence in the ANC to pronounce in favor of unity. And that, I guess, is quite significant. And for the ANC, in terms of not endorsing the opposite message of factionalism, that is a small step forward. The meeting also resolved to help the ANC Youth League with its preparation for a successful national congress before the end of the year. A team comprising Lindy Wezulu and some former ANC Youth League leaders like Fiki Lem, Balula, Ronald, Lamula and Zizu Koto have been appointed to oversee the process. Already there are allegations that some senior ANC leaders, including Mahashula, are working to have their preferred candidate, Tandukolo Sabelo, to be elected president. But Mahashula says no one will be allowed to decide on who should become the league president. We have a task team because the ANC Youth League has officially met with the officials of the ANC and they have pleaded that the National Executive Committee of the ANC must assist them with whatever challenges they have, assist them to make sure that their conference is successful assist them to make sure that the youth league agenda is on course. And there is no leader of the ANC who's going to tell the ANC 
leadership who they must actually elect. Nobody is going to take the powers of the ANC Youth League away. We are working together to assist them to deal with whatever challenges they face. The ANC Secretary General also said they will visit areas that are having gangs and drug problems like Westbury. The NEC continues to be gravely concerned about the scores of gender-based violence, crime, gangsterism. These include areas such as Cape Flats, Langa, Guguletu, Kayalisha, Mitchell's Plain, and the recent uprising in Westbury that led to the gang-related murder of a mother. The ANC instructs its employees in government to take whatever steps necessary to bring gang violence under control and welcomes the implementation of the Bambanani program. That report by Ndebo Mokobo. The EFF Student Command President Peter Gidze believes the current trends seen in student politics at South African universities is a clear indication of how young people will vote during next year's general election. The party is currently dominating the 2018 university elections across the country. Mbali Tetani reports. The EFF Student Command is making its mark at South African universities since their introduction at universities three years ago. They are proving that they are forced to be reckoned with within the country's youth politics. The Student Command is now emerging victorious in this season's SRC elections, making the EFF student body in charge of the one stronghold of the ANC-aligned South African Students' Congress. EFF Student Command President Peter Kitze says support for the party continues to grow as they have raised the political consciousness of young people. The, the intention is to build up uh, momentum towards 2019. And uh, what happened, what is happening this year is exactly the same thing that we have anticipated last year. Young people are going out in their numbers and voting for the EFF Students' Command to be their student representative council in their respective campuses. So far, the EFF has managed to scoop SRC elections in the Mangosutu University of Technology, Durban University of Technology, University of Zululand and the University of Cape Town, among others. Kitze says students sway more to the EFF as they continue to help them with the issues they face on campus. So these numbers are not coming from heaven. They are the people that we continue to help in our respective campuses. So that program of Hawkins, in as much as uh, across the country, almost almost 100,000 students were assisted by the EFF Students' Command to gain access to the institutions of Harlene. And those are the people who continue to vote for us uh, to lead them because they have uh, proof that indeed these people will eventually deliver because they delivered without them being in the SRC. With SASCO losing its grip at tertiary institutions, the organization says they lost can be attributed to internal weaknesses as opposed to a lack of ideology that resonates with students. Sasco National Secretary General Luando Machiza. We are having a general challenge of uh, an anti-progressive movement offensive that uh, is there, uh, I mean broadly and uh, in the system in particular. Uh, and those challenges, they lead to our, sometimes our association with the governing ANC. The failures of the governing ANC would be attributed to Sasco. Uh, but its successes will not be given to us. You've got a situation of um, uh, an apartheidization of students and institutions wherein institutions no longer want political student formations to contest on their own, but they promote individualism, wanting individuals to be on the ballot. And that, to an extent, has created a sense of apathy among students that there's no need for me to affiliate to a political society. Uh, I mean, I can always do it on my own. Meanwhile, the once promising Daso managed to bag the University of Fort Hare convincingly, as well as Stellenbosch University. DA Youth Federal Leader Yusuf Kasim says more students are finding other political parties more attractive. Many of these students are abandoning uh, uh, the ruling party and they're going to be uh, rallying behind change uh, uh, in the next elections in 2019 and that's where we're heading in. And it's not just at universities. At TVET colleges, we've, been, we've made huge inroads. Here in Nelson Mandela Bay, we've made inroads at places like the Eastgate Midlands College, at uh, PE College. Uh, you know, we are governing in, in some of these campuses. We're doing so across the province. 
Uh, and in other provinces, we are very strong. In Limpopo, we are governing in eight of the campuses of some of these Tibet colleges. Meanwhile, Sasko in KZN is facing a support decline and is in crisis. It has accused the media of over-exaggerating their loss of support in four SRC elections. During a media briefing in Durban, Sasko Provincial Chairperson Mkondisi Duma explained. The propaganda that we are speaking about uh, from the media is that... Uh, you will remember that uh, in 2017 we had SRC elections in all these campuses and we, we won all those campuses that you are speaking about today. But none of you said uh, anything about that. We are not in denial that uh, there are challenges that we are facing, but it can't be true that when we are losing one campus out of uh, 100, and 100 campuses, therefore it's a, it's a national crisis as if students have rejected SASCO across. After being in the spotlight during the Fees Must Fall campaign, all eyes will now be on who will emerge victorious at the WITS and UJ elections later this month. Ambali Tetani in Johannesburg. Are you looking for opportunities to network with Africa's business leaders? Do you want to engage with movers and shakers and participate in master classes presented by industry experts? Then, here's your personal invitation to attend the fourth annual Africa Women Innovation and Entrepreneurship Forum and Exhibition taking place on the 8th and 9th of November in Cape Town, South Africa. If you want to register, then visit www.awieforum.org. Again, www.awieforum.org. If you cannot make the event, then don't worry. You can follow it through live broadcasts on Channel Africa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa on the headlines. United Nations Special Advisor on Prevention of Genocide calls for an independent investigation into what he describes as concerning atrocities in Cameroon. South Africa's ruling ANC refers the alleged plot against President Cyril Ramaphosa to its top six officials and suspected cholera cases have almost tripled in Yemen's western province of Hodeida since fighting escalated in June. Those are the stories making headlines. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zosa. Africa, Amika na Unai. It's 8.32 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our residents of Westbury in Johannesburg have vowed to continue protesting until their demands are met. Scores of people have been injured since anti-crime protests started last Friday after a woman was shot dead and her niece was wounded in an apparent gang shooting. The residents are calling on authorities to deal with the gang and drug-related crimes in the area. For more on this, we are now joined on the line by one of the protest organizers carol sally good morning carol and thank you so much for joining us on africa rise and shine good morning now carol what exactly is happening there at the moment and how do you plan for the rest of the day to go forward okay we still continue with the protest with the protest now people are burning but it's under control because we're just burning because we know that the ministry is coming today and also yeah it's quiet but the people are in their numbers again and standing on the corner next to the hospital. So, yes, people are burning tires right now. 
Carol, let's speak about uh, the scenes that we've seen on social media and on television news um, with uh, property being damaged, for instance, the Riavaya bus station. Why is the property being damaged by the protesters? Okay, you know what? Actually, since we start, when we start Friday, Friday when we start, it was a peaceful protest. Yesterday when we start, it was peaceful. Now, when we start closing the, 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 the streets, the police are the problem for this. The police are the ones that start shooting on the people. And then the reason why the rear via also, they burn the rear via down, is because the police were standing right there in the rear via and shoot the people from the other side. And then the community people start throwing bricks back to them. And that's how that rear via got damaged. Now, in terms of achieving your goals, uh, just uh, tell us exactly what your demands are. And as Minister Begitle, Police Minister Begitle is expected to visit Westbury today, what are your demands going to be to the minister and uh, community leaders with regards to what's happening in Westbury? Um, actually, our, the biggest problem that we have in our community is the police. Police are not doing their jobs. Police are getting paid getting money from from drug dealers and so drug dealers think they own our community and that's why they just do what they want to do so we want him to come in him as a minister and come and talk to his people or bring the army in our biggest prayer is that he must bring the army in because it's very 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 dangerous in our community but we want him to bring in the army What's been the response like from um, the uh, gangs or drug lords that you speak of in in Westbury, having seen that uh, some police have been uh, removed from their duty with internal investigations taking place? What's been your response to that happening and uh, the gangs and drug lords' response or reaction to the protest? Okay, actually already two police, we believe that two, two police will be removed or they already, they already moved from the station because I think they're two police. We're going to make a big example with them because we see them on every corner. They are friends with drug dealers. They don't even arrest the drug dealers. So, yeah, we want to make a good example with the two. I cannot say the names over radio, but yes. There is two that are going to be removed. That's one thing for sure. Now, let's speak about the issue, go back to the issue of uh, the damage to property. For instance, the Ria Via bus is used by the community itself. And do you think that there's an achievement with regards to a damage to property that is utilized by the community itself? Uh, you know what? Actually, this morning, I said on TV, I'm not happy what happened with the Ria Via. Because actually, we, I had a meeting with the commissioner yesterday. And the commissioner actually salute the community people for not damaging anything. Like for house shops and that, and also properties was not damaged. But it started yesterday. I think it's not right. It's our community. We are using that Ria Vaya. And yes, it's not right at all. But this thing happened. The police are part of this. They are the ones that were standing in. We have recordings of it as well. They are the ones that started by standing there in the rear via and shoot the people from there. Because people's eyes are out. More than 300 people were shot yesterday with a rubber bullet. And that's why the community was so angry. Now, Carol, let's just uh, quickly before we wrap up, just speak about the the issue of uh, p- uh, police uh, coming forward or um, saying that uh, with regards to um, gangsterism and crime within Westbury, uh, people do not come forward when it's time to testify or when it's time to po- point out um, the the perpetrators. What's your take on that? Is this the case or is it a case of people just being afraid of putting themselves out there or being afraid of the gangs and the drug lords? You know what, it, me personally, I spoke to the, the to the community people. I said to the community people, you know what, this is our community. We know who the drug dealers is. Who, we know who the shooters is. But yes, our community is scared. We had an incident where one of the pastors of the community saw who was the shooter and then he was he was supposed to go and testify 
the day before you went to go and testify, you were shot dead also. And that clearly makes the community scared. Now, very quickly, just uh, um, JMPD uh, headquarters is literally across the road from Westbury if you're driving on the one part of Johannesburg. How is there not enough police presence in the community itself? Literally, they're across the road. Yes, but you see, I think over the last couple of months, there were police from other places in our community because our police, the firetown police station, I don't think they are enough. They try to send out more police in our community. But then the police also, they are just there for maybe you see them during the day, they are more than 30 or 40 cars that are driving. But then all the things start morning hours, like an incident happened on Monday morning, yesterday morning, 2 o'clock, when, I, when we were busy preparing for the protest for yesterday. They were shooting again, more than 50, 15 bullets, not far away from where I'm saying, went off. The guy was laying there on the corner that they shot. I had to put him in my car and took him to hospital. So we want the police out 24-7. We want them in our streets. And we will even show where is the perpetrator staying or where, which corners are they staying and which is the most. Because they don't, actually the, 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 the shooters, they don't come out morning hours or whatever, they shoot in the morning when the children are going to school, they shoot in the afternoon, they shoot at night, and then when they see there's a lot of police during the day, then they start shooting morning hours. So we want them even in the morning hours to patrol in our streets of Westbury. Carol, thank you so much for joining us, and all the best for your meeting, and I hope today's protest will be a lot calmer and uh, a lot more, uh, you know, there, there shouldn't be more damage to any more property that the community itself needs or utilizes going forward. Thank you so much for joining us. And that was Carol Sally, organizer of the protest in the Johannesburg suburb of Westbury, where there has been violent protests that erupted, having started on Friday here in Johannesburg. They are expecting police minister Begitele to visit Westbury today, and they're hoping that they will be able to give him their demands as a community so that there is safety for children, safety for everyone in the community, and gangsterism and Drug laws are removed from the community with better police presence. Channel Africa. Culture and Joy of Addis Ababa. Silvanus Kalemera, reporting for Channel Africa in Kigali. Africa, rise and shine. I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Jean Noel Bamwisi, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundé. Informing the world about Africa. Ntakwanangatani in Mohalizuk, Lesotho. And I am Dana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa. Namibian traditional authorities and civil society organizations have announced that they are boycotting the much-awaited National Land Conference, which is currently underway in the country's capital, Windhoek, in protest at what they call the government's lack of consultation and omitting land movements from attending the Indaba. President Haig Geingob has urged citizens to take part in the debate over muted land reforms, including the expropriation of land in order to avoid chaos. The Southern African country is holding the conference this week, for discussions of policies that will accelerate its land reform program. The debate comes as South Africa is considering plans to allow for expropriation of land without compensation. More from Namibian journalist Crispin Inambao. In short, and four opposition parties led by the country's flag association political party, uh, the popular democratic movement, have boycotted the event. Uh, that's the second uh, land conference that started uh, this morning because they feel the issue of ancestral land rights has been excluded from the agenda, and they feel this 
is very important. Uh, but despite that setback, I hope this conference will address uh, the main issues that could be on the agenda, such as expediting the resettlement of many landless Namibians. And I can only get an amicable so that an appropriate solution may be found as land remains a highly emotive issue in Namibia, just like it is highly emotive in South Africa, Zimbabwe, Zambia and other countries. The land debate in Namibia comes as uh, South Africa is considering plans uh, to allow uh, for expropriation of land without compensation. That process is now before Parliament after extensive public hearings. Uh, Is it the feeling of Namibians that the land should be expropriated without compensation? Uh, I don't want to preempt this conference. I think that too will be thrust out once uh, delegates of this important uh, conference uh, thrash out the issues. Uh, but I can tell you there are some people who feel uh, land should be expropriated and others have pointed out the dangers that we could fall in the same trap uh, like uh, has happened in Zimbabwe. You know what happened in Zimbabwe? Uh, the economy collapsed because we also uh, rely on agriculture. Agriculture is one of the key pillars of the Namibian economy. And if you just uh, expropriate land, uh, the Zimbabwe uh, style, it could be the dire consequences for the economy. Uh, so I think this thing should be handled uh, soberly, uh, systematically. And uh, the people at this conference should really, you know, apply themselves than to go there emotionally. What is going to happen with the resolutions that are going to be adopted at this conference, uh, Crispin? Yes, I think uh, the resolutions, they have to, definitely they have to, government will have to act on the resolutions. They are going to give us, you know, to indicate which way we should take with the issue of uh, land. That's Namibia's journalist Crispin Inambao on the line from the capital, Windhoek, speaking to Kumbele Mujelele. Our economics update up next with Tabi Soluhoku. Good morning. More than 80 cooperatives formed by women from around South Africa have teamed up to form a cooperative bank. It is known as Mzansi Rural Art and Craft Cooperative Financial Institution and aims to finance cooperatives and individual clients. The cooperatives are involved in weaving, bead making and brick laying, among other things. Eight cooperatives are from the impoverished Muyeshe village outside Guiana in Mpopo province are part of the new bank. Some members say they are now able to support their families. We make bows for decoration with telephone wires. We also do necklaces and bangles, mostly traditional stuff. I am able to put food on the table for my family. I don't rely on begging. Zimbabwe's economy is expected to grow faster than expected in 2018 from an estimate of 4.5% to 5%. This is the new government implements reforms to kickstart growth that has languished for more than two decades. Reserve Bank Governor John Mangoja in his first post-election monetary policy statement, said rebalancing the economy would require painful measures. He announced a plan to separate local and foreign currency bank accounts and a new tax on goods trucks as part of measures to ease the shortage of U.S. dollars since the country dumped its own currency in 2009. 
A 6% fuel price increase in the Democratic Republic of Congo has triggered consumer dissatisfaction across the country. Consumers say the increase will worsen the already dire situation. Jan Nuel Bamweza has more from the DRC capital, Kinshasa. The 60% increase is to be applied on the price of petrol and any other fuel-related products all over the Democratic Republic of Congo, according to this country's authorities. And indeed, the DRC Ministry of National Economy has confirmed the price increase through a communique it released on weekend, giving more details on the new prices to be applied according to the different areas of this country. In South Africa, the weak rand is the main reason for the steep fuel price hikes that will come into effect. The rand has been on the back foot amid concerns about emerging markets as well as the U.S. tightening of economic policy. The petrol price will increase by between 99 South African cents. Consumers also face steep increases in other fuel costs. Meanwhile, during the launch of the October Transport Month campaign in Johannesburg on Monday, Houghton Roads and Transport Head Ishmael Vardy encouraged consumers to make use of public transport. And now with the fuel increase, the recent increase, I mean, this is really going to bite in people's pockets. And we have to begin to consider alternatives. You know, a casual glance at any of our freeways during the peak hours, you will find so many people. It's one car, one person. I don't think it's sustainable. If we're not going to opt for public transport, then I think we're going to have to start seriously considering car sharing, lift club, ride sharing initiatives so that we really bring down the congestion and the cost of transport. Kenya's compliance with conditions of the International Monetary Fund have improved with the recent legal enactments, even after a fallout with the fund. Kenya met at least eight of the conditions specified in the March 2018 IMF staff report, but was only partially in compliance for several others. While information is lacking on the status of some, such as modernization of the monetary policy framework. The U.S. dollar trades at 10.41 Botswana Pula. It's at 12.38 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currency, so the U.S. dollar is trading at 4.3 Brazilian Rail. At 65.39 Russian Ruble and at 72.89 Indian Rupee. 6.88 Chinese Yuan, 14.15 to the South African Rand. 76 pence to the British pound, 86 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,190, platinum $821 pounds. The price of brand crude oil is at $85, 5 cents a barrel. From an African perspective, I'm Tabisolo Hogo. A sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. First up, it's Olympic news. Swimmer Michael Hooley will be South Africa's flag bearer at the Youth Olympics starting this Saturday in Buenos Aires in Argentina. Julier will lead a team of more than 100 athletes in at least 19 sporting codes such as swimming, athletics, rowing, sailing, hockey and many more. Julier says it's a great honor. Well, it's, it's a huge honor. Um, many great athletes such as um, Costa Semenya and Wade Van Ikeke have, have done the same thing. So, I mean, to be put in the same position as them, it's, it's a great feeling. And like I said, it's a huge honor as well. Not, not really, not really. I mean, I'm, I, I've, I've worked hard. I've trained very well, and, and I'm, I'm just gonna give it my best. I believe um, in the process, and yeah. The 17-year-old from Cape Town will follow in the footsteps of Wade Fanigerg and Casta Semenya as a flag bearer. Julie is set to take up a swimming scholarship in America next year. He's currently the national 50-meter breaststroke champion, but he's not putting himself under pressure to win a medal. Yeah, I mean, I, I do have a lot of, lot of essay records, um, and, 
and as it worked, I started off when I was when I was 14, and I just progressed as a junior swimmer, breaking breaking the 14, the 15, 16, and so on, mm-hmm. junior age group record. Um, I was also fortunate enough to attend the, the junior Commonwealth, uh, junior worlds, and Commonwealth as well. And uh, like I said, I've I've, I've been progressing. Um, and for this this competition, yeah, like I said, it's it's always a huge honor. Um, and yeah, I I've, I've I've trained hard, and the goal for me is actually to make a final. And then once I'm in the final, everyone has the the same chance at winning gold, and and I'm gonna go for it. So I, I believe. On to football news. Banyana Banyana, South Africa's national f- women's football team's preparations for the upcoming Women's Africa Cup of Nations tournament to be hosted Begana are uh, still on course. The tournament will kick off from the 17th of November until the 1st of December. As part of the preparations, the South African national women's team will travel to Chile today to play two friendly matches against the Chilean counterparts. Banyana Banyana coach Desri Ellis explains. Um, our preparation already started in January, where we played Sweden, then we went to the Cyprus Cup. Um, we got our best position, position ever, 6 out of 12. Then we played the, the qualifier for AFCON, and now this, this Kusafa Cup was also part of preparation. Um, I think when it was announced that Cameroon were coming and Uganda, it really um, spiced up the tournament, and you know, it really meant that you know, the, everybody needed to work a little bit harder. And the challenge was always going to be the Cameroon match. Um, to see where we're at. We still have a lot of work to do, though, but we have some time to prepare for that. But you're right, you know, this AFCON is going to be um, extremely tough, but uh, we're on the right track. And finally, with swimming news, South African swimming sensation Chad Leclaw showcased his skills at the FINA Swimming World Cup in Eindhoven over the weekend, winning four medals in the 100-meter butterfly. Leclaw clocked 49.56 seconds to win the gold, while in the 200-meter butterfly, the Olympian came from behind to win the race in 1 minute 51.09 seconds. The FINA Swimming World Cup will continue in Budapest from the 4th to the 6th of October. That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zosa. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa, South Africa's ruling ANC to probe alleged plot to remove its president. And South Sudanese doctor wins top UNHCR refugee award. That wraps up Africa, rise and shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutura Magaza and Khomozomo Pulane, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.org, WhatsApp on 277-63-003327 or tweet us at RiseShineAfrica. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa is Lesejo with a song titled Viva Tau. Tabasso, then 